guys, welcome back. I'm Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over, Over Coffee. Coffee. We mentioned in our last episode that we would spend more time on genetics and family history and things like that in the new OB visit. So what we're going to be doing today is talking about prenatal genetic screening. Perfect. objectives for you today is one, describe the differences between the different types of genetic screening and testing, and two, describe commonly screened for aneuploidies and their clinical presentations, three, learn the methods of prenatal genetic screening, the gestational ages at which these screenings can be performed, um, including the methodology, components of each test, and how to interpret the screens, and finally, to describe the methods, indications, and complications of prenatal genetic testing. Really, there are three different things that we talk about in this arena of genetic screening and testing. There's prenatal genetic screening, prenatal genetic testing, and prenatal carrier testing. Very, very deliberate language, so let's break down the differences. I didn't even know that these were all different until yeah. today, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, there's carrier testing, and this specifically looks at maternal or paternal genes to evaluate them for a carrier state. So in most cases, we're looking for autosomal recessive genes, things like cystic fibrosis or spinal muscular atrophy. We're not going to talk about this today, but we'll talk about those in a future episode. We're really going to spend today looking at aneuploidy. Okay. Prenatal genetic testing, so again, prenatal genetic testing here, describes a diagnostic test that specifically looks at a fetal sample to determine a chromosomal makeup. So the things in this category are preimplantation genetic diagnosis, chorionic villus sampling, and amniocentesis. We'll also touch a little bit on those today. What I keep in my mind is testing is tissues. And lastly is the prenatal genetic screening. And I think that's what most people are familiar with and the thing that we usually talk about the most. So again, screening being a very deliberate word here. And that looks at biomarkers and maternal serum to develop a risk of aneuploidy in a fetus. So they don't offer a definitive diagnosis. They only say you got a 1 in 10,000 chance or a 1 in 100 chance. Mm -hmm. So to confirm what you find on a screening test, you have to do a diagnostic test. So you have to do an amnio or chorionic villus sampling. So we're going to spend our most time there today because this is what we're going to encounter every day in clinical practice and also probably on the CREOG exam is what they're going to ask us about. Okay. So again, to be deliberate with our language, screening is when we look at these biomarkers, they don't give us anything definitive, mm -hmm. while testing will actually tell you definitively whether the fetus has whatever the genetic abnormality is. Bingo. Okay. We'll try to be deliberate in our language today, um, but note that your practice questions on whatever question bank or thing that you use or the real CREOG test may not quite be as forgiving in this, so this can be a real head-scratcher. Let's first talk about why we screen for aneuploidy, okay? Mm. Fetuses that are affected by aneuploidies are at risk of congenital abnormalities, developmental delay, or in utero demise. And sometimes parents want to know about that because some aneuploidies are not compatible with life and will result in an early miscarriage. Though chromosomal abnormalities are estimated to occur in approximately 1 in 150 live births. So the main thing to establish with your patients is 
if they were to get testing, what would they do about it? Is this something that they would act on or is it to them, whatever happens, they wouldn't do anything differently? Yeah. So you may advise your patients one way versus the other. So these tests primarily look for a couple of different common aneuploid conditions. And we'll kind of break a few of those down now. Probably the three most common that we think about in terms of aneuploidies are Down syndrome or trisomy 21, Patau syndrome or trisomy 13, and Edwards syndrome, which is trisomy 18. So Down syndrome being the most common, or it's, I should say the most common autosomal aneuploidy. It's about 1 in 800 live births. Most of these cases, 95%, are because of a non-disjunction of chromosome 21. The remaining 5% are mosaicism or translocations. It's actually the most common cause of inheritable intellectual disability. And it's also associated with characteristic facial features, congenital heart defects, intestinal atresia, seizures, certain types of childhood leukemia, and early onset Alzheimer's disease. The next one we talk about is trisomy 13 or Batau syndrome, which affects between 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 20,000 live births. Common characteristics include polydactyly, hole in prosencephaly, heart defects, seal, and overlapping of the fingers over the thumbs. And the last one that really gets confusing with all this is Edwards syndrome, which is a little more common, affects around 1 in 5,000 live births. And the common characteristics that get tested include micronathia or small jaw, clenched hands, the rocker bottom feet, and also can be associated with seal and cardiac abnormalities. The other common aneuploid conditions are the two uh, common sex chromosome aneuploidy, which is Klinefelder syndrome, which is 47XXY, and Turner syndrome, which is 45XO. Mm -hmm. Klinefelter's is the most common of the sex chromosome aneuploidies, since it's estimated to affect about 1 in 500 males. They're phenotypically male. These patients tend to be a bit taller. And the last one that we'll highlight on is Turner syndrome, which is 45XO, which is the only viable monosomy. Affected patients are phenotypically female, though they are often infertile. They have characteristics including a shield chest with widely spaced nipples. They can have webbed neck, and they can have a short stature. You guys know probably that there are tons of screening tests, tons of variations on these, and it's way beyond the scope of our hopefully less than 10-minute podcast that we go through each of the tests and each of their particular things. So we are going to have a chart on the website that should help get down studying and different things. So we'll do some highlights here. One thing I do want to highlight, Nick, because I have seen this question on the Kriangs before, is the risk of the fetus having Down syndrome or the risk of the fetus having any congenital aneuploidy mm. based on maternal age. Okay. Um, and the way that we've started to think about this is that your risk goes up threefold for every five years above the age of 30. Yeah, so for example, let's take Down syndrome. At age 30, the maternal risk of carrying a fetus with Down syndrome is 1 in 1,000. At age 35, that risk is about 1 in 350. And then by age 40, your risk is around 1 in 100. And then your risk of any aneuploidy, remember the number 400 instead of 1,000. So at your age of 30, that risk is 1 in 400. At age 35, it's about 1 in 175. And then at the age of 40, it's about 1 in 60. So in terms of actual screening tests that you may encounter, again, there are several, but we'll highlight some of the more common ones here. So one of the ones that we see often in the first trimester is an integrated screen. And an integrated screen is a series of two tests that occur 
first in the first trimester and then in the second trimester. So the first trimester components are a nuchal translucency, which is an ultrasound that measures the thickness of the neck fold posteriorly. And the biomarker component is getting a PAP-A level. This first part of the test needs to occur between 10 weeks and 13 and 6 weeks. The second component is the same thing actually as another test we could highlight, which is a quad screen. So the quad screen, or the second part of the integrated screen, needs to happen between 15 and 22 weeks. And that looks at a series of biomarkers, including a beta HCG level, an alpha-fetoprotein level, or AFP, estriol level, or E3, and then an inhibin A level. And the thing that's important about this is what I have seen on the CREOGS is they do test you by telling you um, the different levels of a certain quad screen. So saying, you know, the HCG is elevated and the estradiol is elevated and these other two tests are decreased. What is this screening positive for? So we will be including a nice handy dandy chart on our website, but we won't be going over it now. And the other test that I'm sure that most of you are sending in your clinic is something called the cell-free DNA. And this is something that can actually be as early as 10 weeks and can be sent all the way up to term. And what the cell-free DNA measures is that the fraction of fetal DNA in the maternal bloodstream. And we know that this is the best screening test in, in terms of sensitivity and specificity for aneuploidies. However, in a population that does have a low prevalence of these types of aneuploidies, you can still have a very high false positive rate. So it is important that even if you get the cell-free DNA to, to proceed on with a definitive diagnostic test, um, if your cell-free DNA comes back positive for an aneuploidy. That's a nice little segue, Faye, to diagnostic testing. So let's touch a little bit on that. So there are two types that we perform if you're not doing IVF, which would be chorionic villus sampling and amniocentesis. Anytime you get some sort of screen positive on a patient, you should offer these testing because, again, these are the gold standard, the things that will tell you definitively whether something is there or something is not there. And that's why it's called a test rather than a screen. So amniocentesis is probably the one we're more familiar with. It's performed between 15 and 20 weeks of gestation, and you insert a long needle under ultrasound guidance through the abdomen to sample the amniotic fluid. In terms of talking to patients about risks of this procedure, the quoted risk of miscarriage from amniocentesis is about 0.1 to 0.3%. Other complications might include preterm labor, chorioamnionitis, and alloimmunization in Rh-negative mothers. The other one that actually I haven't seen at all is CVS or chorionic villus sampling. Mm -hmm. This can be done between 10 to 13 weeks and is performed similarly to amniocentesis, but instead of going in for fluid, it actually samples the chorionic villi on the placenta. Um, and the quoted risk of miscarriage is about 0.2%. Other complications that are described includes chorioamnionitis, uh, oligohydramnios, limb reduction defects, though the risk of this is negligible if performed at or after 10 weeks gestation. Sometimes the CREOGs will ask about exactly how this testing is done. Like obviously you don't get the DNA results straight from the amniotic fluid. The way that the DNA analysis is done is either through karyotyping or microarray analysis. And again, this is the gold standard for identification of amniotic. So that should wrap us up on genetic screening and genetic testing for now. Let's review what we've talked about. So to start, we want to be deliberate in our language regarding these screens and tests. We have three different types, carrier testing, 
prenatal genetic testing, which is the gold standard diagnostic test, your amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling, and prenatal genetic screening, which again gives you a risk score but not a diagnosis. And some of the common aneuploid conditions that we went over were Down syndrome, trisomy 21, Patau syndrome, trisomy 13, Edwards syndrome, trisomy 18, as well as Klinefelter syndrome, which is XXY, and Turner syndrome, which is XO. Common prenatal screening tests can include a integrated screen or a quad screen if you're in the second trimester only, or cell-free DNA, which can be performed from 10 weeks onward. And the most important thing is that if you do get a positive screen, you really should be doing your chorionic villi sampling or your amniocentesis. So that about wraps it up. Once again, I'm Faye. And I'm Nick. And remember to ask yourself, are you screening or are you testing? For listening again. If there's something that we missed or you want to give us some feedback or some love online, um, you can always get us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. And we've got great resources on our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com. Or you can check us out on Twitter at creogsovercoff1 or on Facebook. And please rate and review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your mode of podcasting is.